vision about Africa Arise, uh, and I want to extend that conversation this or this afternoon. If you open your Bibles, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 19, and I'm going to be reading 19, chapter 19, verses 18 through 24. I know it's a bit lengthy read, but I think it, the content is worth, worth it, so I ask that you give it your heart, amen? So David fled and escaped, and he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naioth. Now it was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again a third time and they prophesied also. Then he also then he also went to Ramah and came to the great whale that is at Seca. And so he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naioth in Ramah. So he went down to Naioth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Noeth in Ramah and he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night therefore they say is Saul among the prophets. Amen. I would like to highlight the end of verse number 18 and it says and he that is David and Samuel went and stayed in Noeth. Samuel and David together. Samuel and David together. There is something that, there's just a picture that I want to paint on the canvas of your heart. And that is the prophet and the king together. The prophet and the king standing together. Something happens when prophets and kings stand together. All throughout the Old Testament, you will actually find this pattern repeating itself that, that, that for every king, God set a prophet to stand with him and every one of the every major change that happened in Israel happened when the prophet and the king stood together i want to talk to you today from the subject prophets and kings prophets and kings let's pray heavenly father we thank you for this moment that you have afforded us. I thank you, my God, 
because of your word and your spirit, I thank you that this is no ordinary moment. Father God, I pray that you lift up this moment in our lives, even as Moses lifted up the staff in his hands. Father God, though it look casual, it is an instrument in which you will usher forth deliverance. I pray as I speak, may not just be, my God, a, a verbal montage, my God, but I pray that you would impart your spirit into everyone that heareth. I thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Prophets and kings. So I want to talk a little bit more about the significance of these two, prophets and kings. Now, first of all, I want you to understand, and I know that we do, that in Genesis, when God created man, he created man in his image and likeness. He created man in his image and likeness, and God being a king, God being a king, because man was also made in his image and likeness, he said, because I am a king, you too need something to rule over if you're going to be like me. So he said, I'll rule in heaven and you shall rule the earth. And the Bible's in Genesis 1.28, it says that he gave them dominion and rulership over the earth. God said, I make, I'm making you after my image. You are a king. I am the king of kings, but I am making you a king. So he gave him rulership over the earth. From that moment forward, God ruled from heaven, and, from, and God from heaven would express his sovereign will on the earth through man. So it would be on earth as it is in heaven. So God created the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air. But after he created man, God said, since now I have given you dominion over the earth, though I created it, you must name it. And whatever you call it on earth, heaven will agree with your words and it will be in heaven as it is on the earth. So if you call it a lion on the earth, heaven will agree with what you call it and call it what you call it. So if you call it blessed on the earth, heaven will call it blessed also. If you, whatever you call it, if you call it impossible on the earth, heaven will agree with your testimony. If you call it cursed on the earth, heaven will agree with your testimony. If you call it darkness on the earth, heaven, this is why every time you open up your, your mouth, you should be mindful. Because heaven will agree with your words. But if you call it blessed, it shall be blessed. If you call it light, it shall be light. Heaven will, call, heaven will follow your testimony concerning the matter. That's why God, Jesus said to Peter, I said, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. He said, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. I've given you the authority. 
Hallelujah. That's why when, even when God wanted to release rain on the earth, God told Elijah, he said, now there's going to be no more rain for three years, except at your word. And so there was drought for three years. There was no rain in the land. But when it came time to bring the rain upon the land, God could not just bring the rain. He had to get Elijah to proclaim it on the earth. And call it on the earth. And once he called it upon the earth, it released heaven to whatever you call it. God said, I have put the authority, I put the dominion of the earth in your hands. So when God wants to deal with the earth, he starts to deal with a man. When God wants to, deal, wants to do something on the earth, he starts to deal with a man. That's why God told Ezekiel in, 22, in Ezekiel 22, 30, he said, I sought for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap on the behalf of the land. When God wants to do something in the land, he starts looking for a man. Even, can you imagine, the Bible talks about Cornelius, and, and the Bible says that an angel was sent to Cornelius. And the angel said to Cornelius, he said, fear not, fear not. He said, your arms have, have, have arose to heaven as a memorial offering. Now, here is my thing. There is an angel in front of Cornelius. God sent an angel, and God, the angel told him, go send for, my question is, if the angel is already there, why are you sending for Peter? I would, I would assume that it would make much more impact, the angel go ahead and then sending for Peter. But the, the authority of the earth has not been given to angels. It has been given to man. So the angel said, go get Peter. Because when I want to do something in the land, I send a man. I start dealing with a man. And the whole time that Cornelius was speaking with the angel, God was dealing with the man. Because God wanted to do something. He, 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 chooses, he chooses himself out a man. See, many times when we are praying for God to do something in the land, many times while we are praying, we forget that when God answers our prayer, he does not answer with something, he answers with someone. He answers with someone. And many times you are that someone. God told Moses, I have heard the cries of my people, therefore I am sending you. Sometimes you keep praying for God, send or do something in the land. And God said, I did something in the land, I sent you. I did something in the office, I sent you. Oh God, do something about this darkness. God did do something about that darkness. He sent you. You are the light of the world. You are like a city on the hill which cannot be hidden. You are my answer. You, when I want to do something in the land, I start sent. Are you following what I'm saying to you? Sometimes we are praying, but we are our own answer. Sometimes you're praying, God, 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 just deliver me. God said, what's in your hands? Remember that Peter said, send these people away. 
so they can get something to eat. And because they're, been, they're, they're hungry, you know. They've been standing here. And God said, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Don't send them away. Don't, you, you, you want the answer to, to, go, to arrive from somewhere else. You don't want to take responsibility. But in reality, I already answered this situation because you're here. So in this context, and for this reason, God will raise up kings and leaders. Not just to perform his will, but to administer his will with authority. With authority. Not just to enact his will, but to enforce his will. Because sometimes God must push you. Not where you want to be, but where you need to be. I'll say that again. Sometimes God will push you, not where you want to be, but where you need to be. The Bible says when Israel was in the wilderness, at one point, and they were on their way to the promised land, but things got tough in the middle. The Bible says they, they, they said to one another, let's go back to Egypt and they went and they said let us choose out a leader who will take us back to Egypt that Egypt is where they wanted to go the, the leader they chose would take them where they wanted to go but the leader God chose would push them where they needed to go you see sometimes God will push you into destiny he will push you in your calling. Paul was not, Paul did not voluntarily go to the Gentiles. He was pushed into his ministry to the Gentiles. The Bible says that he tried to fit in with the disciples, but he was rejected by the disciples. Sometimes God's rejection, man's rejection is God pushing you, not where you want to be, but where you need to be. He wanted to be with the disciples. But that's not where he, that's where he wanted to be. That's not where he needed to be. He wanted to be with the Jews. But though he wanted to be, that's, where, that's not where he needed to be. And the only option left was the Gentiles. He was pushed. To, and now his ministry encompasses three quarters of the New Testament. God will push you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The only reason Mary gave birth in Bethlehem and not in Nazareth was because the Bible says that at that time Caesar, Caesar issued an edict that is census be taken of the entire Roman Empire and by demand it was required that they go back to their hometowns fulfilling the word of the Lord, the prophecy spoken by Micah concerning Christ, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Mary would not have chosen to go to Bethlehem. She was pregnant at the time. It was a difficult journey, even, even if that was not the circumstances. It was a hard, difficult journey to go to Nazareth, despite being pregnant. It was not a comfortable decision. It was not a convenient decision. 
but she did not have a choice in the matter. She was pushed into it. I'm sure she would have loved to give birth in her own room, in her own bed, in her own house, and instead she was forced to give birth in a, in a cave with a bunch of animals surrounding her. But this is how you are pushed into your destiny, pushed where you need to be. Because if you want oh God, my God, because the star was not shining over her house. The star was shining over that barn, over that cave. And when you get pushed, he pushes you where you need to be. Hence why he places authority in your life. Authority. Authority does not always take you where you want to go. <laughs> all of us were children at one time. And we all faced the facts of being under authority. And many times we were pushed to go and pushed to do things we did not want to do. But it is when we grow up and mature, we thank God that we were pushed, not where we wanted to go, but where we need. Are you following what I'm saying to you? You will wreck your life if you always choose where you want to go. You will wreck your life. Going where you want to go. That's what Jesus told Peter. He said, he said, now you go where you want to go and you do what you want to do, but there will come a time. Destiny will force you. If you want to enter destiny, if you want to enter what God has for you, it will always involve doing and going where you don't want to go, but where you need to go. That's why Romans 13.1 says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. <laughs> For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority was rebelling against what God has instituted. Woo. In other words, their authority is nothing more than, watch it, than an extension of his authority. This is why Jesus himself, when he was being questioned by Pilate, and Pilate said, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or the power to let you go? And Jesus said, you would have no power over me except that it was given to you from above. I know you're about to push me where I don't want to be. I know it will shock you, but Jesus did not want to go to the cross. Jesus said, if it was possible, if I can find a way out of this, Lord, if I can make this happen without this process of going where I don't want to go, make it happen. But I know that in order to fulfill my destiny, I have to get pushed where I don't want to go. So I will trust you. 
even in this judgment, I will trust you and obey the authority that is taking me to where I don't want to go. He would have called two, 12 legions of angels to come at his bidding. But he said, no, I have to submit myself to the process. Can I make you show you? And then in verse, in verse Romans 13, verse 4, it says, For he is God's, that the authority, Romans 13, 4, For he is God's servant, sent to do you good. So now, here's the thing. It doesn't always feel good. It doesn't say it will feel good. But it will do you in the end. It may not feel good. may not look good. But in the end, oh, I could show you time after time after time after time. Even, even you say, well, what about, what about you know, there, there, there's some kings, you know. You're telling me that they were sent, but sometimes even wicked kings are sent as a judgment. Read your scripture. Sometimes God says, I'm going to allow, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. Their only reason they're there is because I raised them up. To push you into repentance. To make it uncomfortable until you submit to what's good for you. Now, when he says, for he is God's servant, that word servant in, in, in the Greek is the, the, the diacho, which means to run on errands. To run on errands. To run on In other words, he is not running alone. He is running on an assignment. When God wants to do something in the land, he drops something in the king's heart. When God wants to do something in the land, he drops something in the king's heart. Proverbs 21 declares a king's heart is like streams of water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. The king's heart, for better or worse, is something that is directed. It is something that his heart is not his own. There's so many ways that is true. <laughs> when you're talking about leaders, his heart is not his own. So many forces are trying to direct his heart. Are you following me? His heart is not independent. It is directed. It is directed. It is directed. I'll tell you, neighbor, it's directed. It is something that is directed. And the land's blessing and the land's curse is tied to the heart of the king. I see the question marks in your faces. I'll prove it. When you look at scripture, the Bible talks about how when wickedness entered the heart of the king, not only did it pervert him, it perverted the land. Part of the judgment against the queen, king is that he led the land astray because his heart went astray. Because when he is in the authority, everything under him, that's why the Bible says when Adam sinned, he said, cursed is the ground because of Why? Now that your heart is perverse, everything I put under you, is now perverse with it. Did the land do anything? No. The land didn't do anything. Didn't do nothing wrong. 
It was just, it was, it was doing what it was supposed to do. Minding its business. And all of a sudden, now thorns start coming out of it. Why? The heart of the king. Because of that, that's why there will always be a fight for the heart of the king. There is always a fight. There is always a war for the heart of the king. First Chronicles 21.1 declares, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Watch this. He said, he rose up against Israel. How? He sent a plague towards it? No. He sent a hurricane? No. He planted something in the heart of the king. When, God, when the enemy wants to attack the land, he puts something in the heart of the king. In the heart of the king. In Acts 13, when Paul came to Cyprus and encountered a false prophet named Bar Jesus, who was counselor to the supreme governor there, the Bible says between Paul and Bar Jesus, there was a fight, a battle for the heart of the king. Because as goes, because wherever the heart of the king goes, so goes the land. And you see, this is why couple, the coupling of prophets and kings is so vital. The Bible says that Saul heard David was in Ramah. And Saul came to Ramah to kill David. He came there with a murderous spirit. He came there intending to take him out. In fact, the Bible says, the Bible tells us that in him, he was possessed by an evil spirit. And every time the evil spirit would come upon him, that murderous spirit would come upon him. And the Bible says, every time, he said David would be playing the harp. And when the evil spirit came upon him, Saul would take the spirit and throw it, trying to kill David. It was a murderous spirit. And he came there in that same murderous spirit seeking David, but also in Ramah with Samuel. And the prophets were there also. And the Bible says they were gathered in the city prophesying. And they prophesied. And the Bible says as soon as Saul stepped within the boundaries of Ramah, the Bible says, all of a sudden, the murderous spirit came undone, and something else came over him. And the Bible says he began to prophesy. He began, he didn't start prophesying just when he came in front of Samuel. If you read the context of the scripture, the moment he entered the city, it says he prophesied all the way. Until he came before Samuel. And he there, he stripped down naked and began to prophesy some more. He prophesied so accurately. That the Bible says, even the people said this. Is Saul now one of the prophets? Why? Because the king's heart came alongside the spirit, the prophetic voice. And all of a sudden, the king's heart changed. The Bible doesn't tell us what he was prophesying, but under the circumstances, I would like to believe that he was prophesying about David. 
that while he was trying to kill David, he said, great shall be your kingdom. Your kingdom will not be in. Oh, oh. he started to prophesy. This is, and so, so what they prophesied began to rule the heart of the king. And see, when we now, when we think of prophets, I want you to understand what makes a prophet a prophet. I know it sounds, uh, uh, it may sound like an of course moment, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. What makes a prophet a prophet is the word, not his business card, not his title, not his suit, not his car. What makes a prophet a prophet is the word that God has given to him. If a prophet is a prophet, he won't need a business card to state it. Samuel didn't run around with a, around and say, I am prophet Samuel, nice to meet you. It was known that the word of the Lord was with him. The word of the Lord was, the word of the Lord was, what made him who he was is because the word of the Lord was with him. Hallelujah. And because he beca Samuel became a prophet when the word of the Lord came to him. That is the moment he became a steward over God's word. This means we all have as believers, having also received the word, in varying degrees have a, prophet a prophetic ma mandate, and responsibility in accordance to the word of the Lord revealed to us. You are a prophet over the word revealed to you. You have the same responsibility to steward the word of the Lord given to you. The, word is, the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Samuel and Samuel's word came to all of Israel. Did you notice the switch right there? The word of the Lord came to Samuel. And then Samuel's word came to all of Israel. In other words, it was no longer just the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord became Samuel's word. In other words, he gave himself. He didn't just, he didn't just receive the word. He gave himself to the word he gave his heart to the word he gave his mind to the word until his word became samuel's word when that that is when the word truly comes alive that's when the god's word truly comes alive is when his word becomes your word so it wasn't just samuel just repeating god's word but rather his word became samuel's word and see, the word will never truly come alive until you give yourself to it. The word of the Lord will truly, it will not come alive until you give yourself to it. And his, until his word becomes your word. That's why the Bible talks about Peter. When Peter was upon the boat and the storm arose and Jesus was walking on the lake. You remember this account? And the Bible says, Jesus said to everybody on the boat, do not be afraid, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then the Bible says, Peter said, if it is you, tell me to come out to you in the boat. And Jesus said, come. 
not, not, not a five point. He just said one word, come. Everybody received the word. Everybody was on the boat. But Peter stepped out and began to give himself to the word. And when he gave himself to the word, his world began to change. You see, when you truly give yourself to a word, the world around you will begin to shift and change. The Bible says that, that, that before Saul, before Saul came, he had sent messengers. He first tried send, sending messengers to bring David, after David, to subdue him, to take David. But the problem is now, he sent, he sent the messengers, three groups of messengers, but there was a problem. Every time the messengers got to Ramah, their message changed. Their message went from one of destruction to life, one of darkness to light, one of hopelessness to hope. The Bible says every time they got to Rama, they began to prophesy. And they said to him, he said, okay, the Bible said the word, the word got back to Saul. I don't know what happened to those messengers. I don't know what got into them. They got there and they started joining. They, they, they started joining what they were saying. They started prophesying. So he sent a second. The same thing. He sent a third. The same thing. You see, and what God has put in my heart is, I don't know the messages the enemy has been sending your way. I don't know what the mountain has been saying to you. I don't know what your house has been saying to you. I don't know what your circumstances have been saying to you. I don't know what your past may be saying to you. I don't know what your failures may be saying to you. I don't know what your finances have been saying to you. But I have a word for you that the testimony that God has put in you is greater than the messengers and the messages that surround your life. That the messengers, the messengers may have one testimony, but I'm telling you that the testimony God has placed in you is greater. It is greater. I dare you. I dare you to prophesy to your mountain. I dare you to speak to your mountain. I dare you to speak right back. The mountain has been speaking to you long enough. That the mountain, that your circumstances have been speaking to you long enough. I dare you to begin to prophesy to your mountain and say, I shall overcome. I shall make it. I will be above this. I will be the head and not the tail. I refuse to be beneath. I am above and not beneath. You will not overtake me. What are you, mountain? Oh, oh, oh before is the river. You shall become le level ground. Are you following what I'm saying? I dare you to begin to speak to your mountain. Prophesy to your mountain. Declare to your mountain. Goliath had one testimony for David. But the testimony in David was greater than the message of Goliath. And when Goliath spoke to him, David said, I have my own testimony.
And my testimony says that today I shall cut off your head and I shall feed your body to the birds of the air. Hallelujah. I dare you, I dare you to prophesy to your marriage, prophesy to your house, prophesy to your children, prophesy to the land, prophesy to your business, and speak to it, and talk to it, and prophesy to it, and whatever you call it, heaven will call it. Prophesy to it. This is why you have to give yourself to the testimony in you. Because as long as you stay faithful to, test, to the testimony in you, the messages around you will bow down to the testimony in you. I said if you stay faithful to the testimony in you, the messengers and the messages around you will bow down to the testimony in you. Greater is the testimony in you than the messages that are in the word world. The Bible said they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the and the of their test. I don't know who this word is for, but your message is about to change. Your message is about to change. Your message is about to change. Your message is about, I don't know what the messages are. I don't know what the messages have been saying. But your message, the message of your life, the message of your house, the message of your situation is about to change. It is about to bow down to the testimony that God has put down on the inside of you. Africa, your message is about to change. The message of corruption is about to change. The message of poverty is about to change it, because there is a prophetic voice arising there's a prophetic voice being lifted up and when the prophetic voices are lifted the messengers of this world become the messengers of our God but here's my my point and what's in my heart this is what Africa Arise is about Africa Arise is not a conference where we sit and be entertained by speakers and twist around and shout and go home. This is not a conference. This is a prophetic voice. It is a prophetic voice. We're, we, are, we are coming to hear, not just hear what God is saying, but to give ourselves to what God is saying so that we would rise up as a prophetic voice over the continent, over the nation, over the land. You see, the Bible says, you know, the Bible, Samuel was not there alone. The Bible says there was a company. There was a company of prophets around him. And they were all in one spirit. All in one voice. In fact, the, if you look at the scripture, Samuel was even doing much. He was standing there. And the company was doing the work. They were prophesying. He was just there setting order, but they were prophesying. And as they prophesied, something was changing. Something was happening. And I, and I believe God is raising the church now. To be a prophetic voice, a prophetic voice to corruption, a prophetic voice to disease, 
a prophetic voice to war and bloodshed, a prophetic voice into the land, saying, thus says the Lord. So the kings were on one side. The king was on one side. And the prophets were prophesying on the other side. And as they prophesied over here, the heart of the king was subdued over there. You see, when prophets gather alongside one another, something happens. Ezra 1.1 says, In the first year of the Cyrus king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus the king to make a proclamation throughout his realm and put it in writing. And put it in mighty. This week, this city is Rama. Do you know what Rama means? A high place. I thought it was interesting because Addis is the highest capital. This is Rama. The kings are gathering. And as the kings gather, the prophets will also gather. And we, with one voice, shall become a prophetic voice to the kings of the land. And saying, thus says the Lord. Well, are you telling me, are they coming to the conference? Maybe, but that's not the point. <laughs> in fact, the Bible says, if you remember, Saul didn't even come in front of Samuel before he started... He prophesied the moment he began to enter the city. This is our Rama. This is our city. And as we prophesy in this city, everything that enters this city, by the time they leave the city, their testimony will be changed. Their hearts will be changed. Their hearts will be directed towards the will and purpose into the kingdoms of this earth, become the kingdoms of our God and King, until righteousness flows like a river and justice is raised up like a mountain. When prophets and kings connect things begin to move big things begin to change not only because if the heart of the king is moved the land is moved with him when the heart of king cyrus was moved the land began to move when prophets and kings connect Something begins to change. Something begins to move.